0: Please open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 19 to 27 this morning. Before we begin, however, looking in the word, would you join me in a word of prayer? For we need God's help to understand what he has here for us. Father, this is your good word. And it will succeed to the thing to which you send it. Our confidence is in you, O Lord to accomplish all of your good purposes. Father, we pray that as we study your word, and we do so together, that you, will, that you will dig out our ears, so to speak, that we may hear, that you will humble us, that we may be and have the right posture of heart to receive what is here, that we, O oh Lord, may know you, that we may serve you, rejoice in you. And Father, we pray that for those in our midst that do not know Christ, your Son, as their Savior, today they may see. They may see their sin, see your glory, see your coming judgment, and see your grace in him. Oh, God, have mercy We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Daniel 4, 19 to 27. In our passage this morning, we find Daniel having a difficult conversation. You can think back on your own life. I'm sure you have had to have difficult conversations with people. Things, conversations that you were not looking forward to. That you had some amount of trepidation in your heart. What would come of this? How would this be received? What is going to take place? Maybe this difficult conversation was with someone last night. Maybe it was with your spouse. Maybe it was with over over text with a friend. Maybe it was at work this past week. You had to have a difficult conversation with a coworker, with a boss, with an employee. Difficult conversations are a part of our lives. None of us, maybe I shouldn't say none of us, there have been some people I know who seem to thrive on difficult conversations. But there are not many, praise the Lord. Not many people seem to enjoy difficult conversations too much. Most of us do not look forward to them in any way. nor, Nor should we. There is nothing particularly godly or righteous or good about enjoying difficult conversations. And Daniel here is no exception. He finds himself called on to reveal particularly bad news. And we see this in the opening lines. We, well, let me go back. We'll start with verse 4. Nebuchadnezzar, this is, you'll remember, chapter 4 is Nebuchadnezzar's story. It is, these are his words that Daniel has included in his book Nebuchadnezzar has sent out this public proclamation Daniel is including it here a letter a record of what Nebuchadnezzar has done or experienced and so Nebuchadnezzar writes in verse four I Nebuchadnezzar I was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head they troubled me that's important they troubled him Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and all the soothsayers came in and I told them the dream. But they could not, did not, could not, would not, should not, however it is, they did not make known to me its interpretation. But alas, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the Holy God. And I told the dream before him saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the Holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth And its height was great, and the tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all the beasts of the field found shade under it. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, thus, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruits. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth. Bind it with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts on the earth, on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man, let him be given the heart of a beast, and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers, and the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Daniel is called on to deliver the interpretation of this dream. Whether the soothsayers and the magicians and all the The spiritual IT experts were unwilling or unable to interpret is not clear. But Daniel is called on to, to testify, to give an interpretation of what this dream means. This dream that had so troubled Nebuchadnezzar. He was afraid and troubled by it. But he has full confidence in Daniel. You are able. This dream troubled me. It should be no trouble for you. I want you to notice verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time. Or you might say he was dismayed, upset, stunned, confused for a time. And his thoughts troubled him. Daniel himself is troubled, and you don't expect this from Daniel. I mean, he has been thrust into difficult situations from a young age. You remember, as a young teenage boy, he is taken captive from Israel. They are conquered in 607 BC. He is removed from Israel, taken along with many others out of Israel. Sons, daughters, perhaps, of nobility. He is transferred over to Babylon, where he is now going to be trained. And he is... He has not been shy about doing what needed to be done, about standing firm for the Lord at critical times. We saw this at a young age when it, was, it came down to identifying either with the Lord or with the Babylonian culture. In eating of the meat of the king, he chose to identify and remain faithful with the Lord. In chapter 2, there is a dream that comes and he is able... While no one else can, he is able not only to give the interpretation, but to tell the dream itself to the king. And here in chapter, and then in chapter 3, his friends, they are forced to kneel, which they will not do, thrown into a furnace, and somehow they survive. And here in chapter 4, as an old man, let me back off that statement, He is in the prime of his life, right? He is in his probably late 40s or early 50s. I am believing that's like right there at the prime of life. I'm looking forward to that. He is a mature man. No longer a teenager. Now he is being asked to do another hard thing. But this time, it's not going to be as hard as those previous times. He's given the dream. But what makes this difficult, he's troubled by this dream where he's not troubled by the previous one. The previous one was good news, right? The previous one was you, your kingdom is this wonderful kingdom. There is this image, the head of gold. You are that head of gold. These other kingdoms that follow you, they will be of lesser material, lesser significance, lesser worth, lesser power, lesser glory. You, O king, are glorious. There is a Slightly different message to this dream. Here, Nebuchadnezzar's reign has been well gotten on with. Here, Nebuchadnezzar is not looking forward to his reign at the beginning as he was in chapter 2. Here, he is looking back. By all accounts, historically, it appears that at this time, we saw earlier in chapter In chapter 4, he is at peace, he's at rest in his home. It gives us the impression that all of his enemies have been conquered. The time in history when we see this happening in Nebuchadnezzar's life is when he is older, after he has just defeated Egyptian armies, and now everything is good. And Daniel is being called on to interpret a dream That doesn't have good news, but it has bad news. Hardship is coming. And he is troubled. He is afraid. And I think we can understand why he is troubled. I I do imagine Daniel is still a man. I don't have to imagine that. He is still a man. And I imagine being a man, he is probably troubled a bit for his own head. It, It was a dangerous thing to bring bad news to the king. No one envied that job, which is a strong, it indicates strongly that it was perhaps that the, the wise men and the Chaldeans and the soothsayers and all of those men who were brought in to interpret the dream, it, it may have been that they, it's not that they could not interpret the dream, but that they would not, for fear that in interpreting the dream, they would not get ahead, they might lose their heads. And it seems that Daniel may have been concerned about his own well-being. You get a sense of that in the very next line in verse 19. After we are told his thoughts are troubled, then Nebuchadnezzar speaks to him assures him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. He's almost, it's almost as if he's saying, look, whatever the dream is, whatever the interpretation is, I will not harm you. You can be honest with me about what this means. I know it's bad news for some time, whether it's been an hour or two or minutes, I know it's got to be bad news. The look on your face, the time you have taken, this isn't good. Just give it to me straight. Nothing will happen. And so it does seem that Daniel is on one level concerned about his own well-being, but I would argue from the text, I do not think that's the thing that troubles Daniel the most. Look how Daniel, Belteshazzar, as he has been named in Babylon, look how he responds. Belteshazzar answered and said, "My Lord." May the dream concern, or you might say, my Lord, may may the dream come upon those who hate you, and its interpretation come upon your enemies. Daniel's concern is not primarily for himself. Daniel is troubled not primarily for himself. Daniel is troubled for King Nebuchadnezzar. You might look at this and say, Daniel has compassion on King Nebuchadnezzar. He is troubled not merely by him, but for him. He has compassion on him. I I, I want you to just take a moment and, and reflect on that. Think of everything that Nebuchadnezzar has done to Daniel and Daniel's people. Daniel was at home and safe and secure in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar comes along, he he conquers his city, which means what? There is going to be all sorts of violence and oppression and terrible things done, not only to not only to Daniel's people but to those around him, to friends, to family. And Nebuchadnezzar has since this time he has conquered Jerusalem at least once, possibly twice. There we know there are two more waves of exiles, one more in 596 and another in 586. Both of those have happened since Daniel has been taken captive. Nebuchadnezzar is not, has not been a friend to the Jewish people. Nebuchadnezzar is a, is a king, he is an emperor, he is the most powerful man of the world, which means he has lived, he, he has exercised his right to rule at the cost of others. Nebuchadnezzar is a man who is regularly guilty of oppression. He has built an incredible empire. He has built massive wealth on the backs of slaves. On the backs of murder and violence. Nebuchadnezzar is not a good man. Nebuchadnezzar is not a friend of grace. Nebuchadnezzar is the vilest of the vile. Yet Daniel is troubled for him. Nebuchadnezzar is an idolater. He is an oppressor. He is is a persecutor of God's people. And yet Daniel has compassion for him. Just think about how rare that is, how difficult that is. Think about someone in your life. That person who has offended, who has hurt, who has frustrated and angered you more than anyone else. You may widen the circle from those around you. You may think of not just those immediate friends. You may think of someone Higher up. You may think of someone in, in, in a political office. And Daniel has compassion on him. Normally, it's the person who has compassion is the person who has authority and power, isn't it? It's reversed here. The one that has lesser authority, the one who has lesser power, that is the one who has Compassion. Daniel has compassion on Nebuchadnezzar, though unworthy he is. More than this, not only does Daniel have compassion, he speaks with clarity then to Nebuchadnezzar. He is clear about the threat to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 20 to 26, follow along. The tree that you saw which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king. Do you catch that? That tree is you. And that tree is going to be cut down. It is you, O king. Who have grown and become strong. For your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens. And your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it. But leave its stump and roots in the earth. Bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let him graze with the beasts of the field. Till seven times pass over. This is the interpretation of king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. They shall drive you from men, your they shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. He is clear about the threat to the king. This tree is huge. It is going, this large tree is Nebuchadnezzar and yet he is going to suffer the loss of his power. He is going to be cut down in his authority. This great empire who is finally at peace, finally at rest, finally conquered all of his enemies, now is the moment he will face destruction. Now he will be cast down. And not just lose his power and authority. He's going to lose his mind. This having a a grandfather and watching a grandfather who slowly fell into dementia gives me some sympathy for Nebuchadnezzar here. I watched my grandfather and talked with him one time. His dementia was early onset and he was, he knew what was happening to him, trying to fight it, but it was helpless. And he and I went out to breakfast and as we were trying to order, he sat there with a menu trying to figure out how to say what he wanted to say. And when we had finally been able to decipher what it is he wanted to order and we sat talking He described the frustration that it was for him to to know what he wanted to say but not be able to communicate it. To be aware but not be able to rightfully communicate it. Or later on when he would have lucid moments to know that his mind was faulty and he couldn't trust it. Nebuchadnezzar is going to spiral quickly. He is going to experience what what scientists now will call boanthropy, that is, it is, a, it is a mental illness in which someone loses touch with reality. They believe that they are cows, that they are bovines, that they, and they begin to eat grass. This isn't people who merely identify as animals, you know, and you know, act as furries. I, I never thought I'd have to clarify those two things. These are people who actually believe that they are animals. And they begin to live as such. And this is what he predicts for Nebuchadnezzar. You are going to lose all power. You are going to lose your mind. And you're going to lose it for seven seasons of time. Seven periods of time. I think rightly we should read this as seven years. But it's not necessarily tied to years. Daniel... uh, uh, The Lord could have made it clear this is seven years, but he doesn't say that. But I think when you read all of Daniel, it is fit to understand this reference to a seven-year period. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that long. And this is just a guess, but I wonder if part of the reason... That we are given a seven year undefined period of time here. I'm sorry, a seven period, a, a, a period of seven seasons, periods of time that are going to pass. I wonder if it's so un- unclarified is, if one of the reasons that the Lord has left it so ambiguous is so that the people of Israel would see in the humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar a picture of their own Humiliation as a nation, just as Nebuchadnezzar will be plunged into a humiliating uh, state of mind, a humiliating state for a seven-year period of time, until he knows that the most high rules in heaven, so the people of God are going to experience a, a seven-fold period of time in which they will be exiled from God's people from God's land, from the land of Israel. I do not know that that's clear, but it seems, it seems tied, the prophets are speaking of it. What is clear is that Daniel is, is that there is a threat to Nebuchadnezzar, a threat to his power, a threat to his mind, a threat that Nebuchadnezzar has no power to fend off. This comes from the Most High. And he, he's clear, not only about the threat, but that the threat against Nebuchadnezzar comes from God. This does not fit well in modern conceptions of who God is. If we allow the world, if we allow our culture to merely dictate to us what God is, who God must be, then we will have no understanding, no ability to grapple with what is being said here. If God is purely a God of love and not a God of justice, we will have trouble understanding how God can do this. How could a God of love, a God who is loving, do this to anyone? If we miss out, that God is not only a God of love, but he is also a God of justice, a God of holiness, a God of righteousness, a God who is sovereign, we will not be able to understand why this is. And Daniel, think of how often in your life when you have had to talk to someone and when you want to share the gospel, perhaps you have felt in a moment of, in speaking with someone, you have felt the temptation to to minimize God's judgment To speak of God in ways that will make him seem more palatable, more friendly, more open, more welcoming, more affirming, whatever it may be. And Daniel is clear here. Not only on the threat, but where that threat comes from. This comes from the Most High. He wants Nebuchadnezzar to know that the Lord is supreme. He is sovereign. He is reigning. He is holy. He is just. And he is clear about the purpose of this humiliation. You saw that in verse 5. How long will this be? It's going to be for a sevenfold period of time. But for how long? What is the purpose of it? Till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. God's purpose in this threat is so that Nebuchadnezzar will know who God is. God's purpose in this humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar is not merely to humiliate him. If it was, he would never have told him that this was coming. He would have just brought it about. The purpose of God in bringing this humiliation is so that Nebuchadnezzar will see God, will know who he is, and will turn. God is not merely interested in the humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar. He is interested in Nebuchadnezzar's humility before him. That Nebuchadnezzar will learn to bow the knee before he who is truly the Most High, he who is truly the Sovereign One. And even in this suffering, God has a purpose. He has a purpose even for this one who is against him. God's purpose is not merely to destroy. It's not to condemn. It's gracious, isn't it? God's purpose in this pain is good. It is so that Nebuchadnezzar would come to know him. As Paul, the apostle, will later say, God's patience and kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. God's purpose in Nebuchadnezzar's suffering is so that Nebuchadnezzar may know and taste of the grace of God. Just as the rose grows among thorns, and to pluck one out, it may draw blood, yet it is worth it. So, God often hides his choicest gifts amid our deepest and sharpest pains. The scalpel in the hand of a surgeon is a painful thing, and yet it is the means, it is the instrument that brings life. And as long as we draw breath and hardship, pain and suffering are going to come to us. But The chief means, one of the part of the chief means of God in suffering for us is to draw us to himself. God does not create suffering, but God will use suffering and direct it to accomplish his good purposes. And here, those good purposes involve grace grace daniel is clear about the threat he is clear about the the one who is doing the threatening he is clear about the purpose of god in the threat and daniel is clear then in his call to repentance look there at verse 27 Therefore, King, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being practicing righteousness and break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. He is calling him to break off, that is to renounce, to repent. He's calling him to, to practice righteousness, to show mercy to the oppressed. This isn't, this isn't a plan of salvation. He is calling him to repentance here, or to what the Apostle Paul will later say, that is to do works that are consistent with repentance. Repent, and now show your repentance in the way you live. Humble yourself before God. Cling to God. Go to him. Hope in him. This is Daniel calling Nebuchadnezzar to humble himself, to turn himself away from his sin, and to cast himself on the mercy of God, and then to act consistent with that repentance. This is the same means by which you and I experience salvation to repent, to hope in Christ alone, to cast ourselves on the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. Daniel here in these verses is the picture of a faithful witness, is he not? He shows us what it means for us to do what God has called us in this world. He is a picture of what the people of Israel were to have been toward the nations around them. This is why God has redeemed the people of Israel. He had set them in the nation. He had set them where he had set them so that they might be a light to the nations and that others would come and see and know who God was in them and through them. This is probably chiefly seen in the prophet Jonah He is sent out to to preach and declare the mercy of God. And his message is what? Repent. for The the judgment of God is coming. Forty days and God is going to destroy. And Jonah, you may remember, does not willingly preach that message. It is only after the Lord works deeply upon him that he finally preaches. And when he does preach and the nation of Nineveh, I'm sorry, the nation of Assyria, there in the capital city of Nineveh, when that city turns and repents and humbles itself before God, Jonah is far from happy. In fact, Jonah is angry. The same, he's angry at the same grace of God that was extended to them. He's angry that it was extended... The same grace of God that was extended to him and the people of Israel, he is angry that God extended it to the nation of Nineveh, to the nation of Assyria. And God asks him a question. After having raised up a plant and shielded him, and Jonah enjoying that plant, and then God removing that plant from him, Jonah, the, the book of Jonah ends with this. The Lord telling him, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? That is, these people are so morally bankrupt, they do not know good and right. The people of Israel were to be a light. They were to be portraits of the compassionate mercy of God. They were to preach and to publicly declare the public, the the mercy of God, the compassion of God on sinners. And Daniel, as he writes this book, he writes it to those exiles who are remaining in Babylon. He writes it to those exiles who are returning back to the land of Israel. Reminding them, this is what you are to be. Filled with compassion. Clear in your witness of who God is. This is what you and I are to be. Filled with compassion. Speaking clearly. Not judgmental not argumentative, not angry, defensive. Compassionate, clear. Not conforming our message or the message of the gospel so that it it doesn't offend people. Not removing the sharp parts of the gospel, the sharp edges, trying to soften the blow so that they will like God. But to be honest, Daniel is a picture of what Israel was to be. It is a picture of what you and I are to be. He is a picture of what Christ is. Of how Christ lived. John in the book of Revelation in chapter 1 verse 5 describes Jesus as the true and faithful witness. Christ indeed is true and faithful In everything, was there one who is more compassionate than Christ? I mean, if you read through the Gospels, you will see over and over and over again the crowds gathering to Christ. And what is his response? They are hungry, they are sick, they want him, they want him, they are making more demands of him. And he has compassion on them. When the sick, And the weary, and the sinful, and the wicked, and the grieving are before him. We read again and again, he has compassion. Where you and I, we are spurred on by anger, we are frustrated, we are judgmental. Christ is compassionate. Not only is Christ compassionate, he is clear read through the book, the Gospel of John. One of the themes that you will find again and again and again is that whatever Christ does, He does it because the Father has given it to Him to do. Whatever He speaks, He speaks what the Father tells Him to speak. He and His Father are one. He does whatever the Father does. He says whatever the Father gives Him to say. Nothing more, nothing less. He is the true and faithful witness. So much so that in John chapter 14, Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Christ's response to Philip is this. Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? I mean, he says, I want to see the Father. Don't you know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Christ is the true and faithful witness. And by his witness, by his compassion, he draws sinners to himself. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies, while we were still hostile to God, while we were still dead in our sins, while we were still helpless, while we were still raging against God, wanting to live life on our own, God, in his mercy, sent his son into the world. Brothers and sisters, you and I have tasted of the Compassion of God in Christ Jesus. We have come to know the Father through Christ Jesus. And we are called to be witnesses of God in Christ Jesus to the world. And friend, if you are here this morning, you do not know what we are talking about and I would point you to Christ who is the true and faithful witness. He he knows you, friend. He knows you in all of your guilt just as he has seen us in ours. And he beckons you today, come, come, taste and see that God is good come drink of the waters that come that flow from him drink of him and you will never thirst again find mercy and forgiveness in Christ the cross still speaks christ still saves friends look to jesus brothers and sisters what daniel is we are to be What Daniel was, he points us to the Christ who is. Let us look to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we fail in so many ways to live as you call us to live. We fail in so many ways to testify with joy, with compassion, with clarity, of your mercy. We are tempted to soften the message about sin and judgment so that we may talk only about forgiveness and grace and peace. Oh, but God, there is no salvation if we do not understand that we are sinners. Teach us that we may be not only clear, but that we may be rich in compassion in the witness that we have to others, that we may follow in the footsteps of our Savior, who by his clear testimony and his mercy has won us to himself. Oh, Father, strengthen us by your spirit to be and to follow in the footsteps of our Savior, Christ Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen.